Welcome, everybody, to a World Series edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Mike Rosenbaum. Uh, Jim Callis on vacation this week, enjoying the World Series. Um, we will talk about uh, all things World Series from uh, our perspective, looking at the players in the worlds on the World Series rosters uh, back when they were prospects. Uh, Jim Callis has ranked them. We'll take a look at those rankings. We'll look at how these teams were built. The Dodgers and Rays, obviously two very different teams in terms of their payroll and uh, how they put their teams together. We'll take a look at that. Uh, Jonathan's going to look at the Rays Pro Scouting Department. They have several players on their team uh, playing big roles who were acquired via trade. Uh, of course, highlighted by Randy Arena. Jonathan, with a great story about that. Um, we're also going to be joined, uh, kind of outside of the realm of World Series talk, we're going to be joined by Marlins rookie Jazz Chisholm. And then we will wrap up by answering a couple of your questions. So guys, let's jump right into the World Series. And I guess uh, the two teams, not really that big of a surprise. I mean, uh, we had a different playoff system this year. These teams were both seated first. They are uh, they were the winningest teams from their leagues in the Rays and the Dodgers. Um, only the fourth time in the wild card era that the teams with the best record in each league are meeting in the World Series. Uh, it happened in 1995, 99, and 2013 as well. I guess that's what you want to see. It, it is. It's funny because if you think about like the NCAA tournament, you know, basketball, and people kind of get disappointed when it's two number one seats. Uh you know, because you like to see upsets that happen. But uh, something about the postseason in, in baseball, whatever the format is, I think you want to see the two best teams play against each other. It, it seems right. And, uh, you know, both teams uh, didn't exactly cruise through the, the postseason and, you know, uh, had uh, had their backs against the wall. Uh, you know, the Rays almost coughed up uh, a, a large – large lead against the Astros. The Dodgers had to come from behind against the Braves. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens here. Yeah. And beyond having just the best records in both leagues, I think you can make a case that the Rays and Dodgers both had the deepest rosters, deepest lineups um, from each league. And I think that showed in the championship series that both teams were able to survive um, in advance after seven games, you know, different circumstances, uh, as Jonathan just mentioned. But I, I think that really speaks to the roster depth and construction that's gone into making these two championship caliber teams. Right. And not just surviving seven games, but, but seven games in seven days, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about uh, what we see happening here. Let's, let's make our picks. Uh, there's a story on the site right now uh, with, uh, I think, around 70 was it uh, experts that were polled uh, as to who, which team they think will win in how many games and who will be the World Series MVP? Uh, Jonathan, let's start with you. I know that when we, you, Jim, and I made our picks for the entire postseason right. uh, a few weeks ago, and I believe you had the Rays winning the whole thing. Are you, I did. Are you, are you sticking with that? I, I mean, I have to. My biggest takeaway from from that story, by the way, was we, we have seventy something experts at MLB.com to poll for this. A lot of experts. unbelievable. A lot of expertise. Well, it's a lot of people. Um, I, I want to find out the methodology in determining 
what determines an expert, but that's for another episode, I think. Yeah, so I'm going to stick with the Rays. I'm going to say the Rays are going to win in seven games. And the World Series MVP is going to be catcher Mike Zanino. Wow. I did not see that coming. There you see. Well, but you thought I was going to go with Randy Rosarina? Come on. I need to come up with something different. I also think that eventually the the, the fairy dust has to wear off, right? What's what's behind the pick of uh, of Zunino? Uh, you know, he homered a few times in the in the postseason. Uh, I, you know, I think that uh, he is the kind of unsung player who often steps up in in World Series action, and uh, you know, some of it, you know, just how he handles the pitching staff, it doesn't won't be quantified, and and so. Uh, even if I think he should be the MVP, maybe he won't be. But I just uh, I, I feel like he was swinging the bat well, and I think he's going to hit some some key homers uh, there at the bottom of the Rays lineup and and be a huge a huge reason why they uh, they outlast the Dodgers. All right, all right, Mike, give us your picks. All right, <clears throat> my pick from expert number seventy one. Um, I am also going with the Rays in six games, um, and my MVP pick is Willie Adamas. In the uh, in the expert story, that would that would put the two of you in the minority, as an overwhelming number of the voters picked the Dodgers to win, fifty eight out of the. Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, we're going to have to change your number, Mike. Your number seventy two now because it says we pulled more than seventy, and then they specify that fifty eight of the seventy one voters picked the Dodgers to defeat the Rays. So, gotcha. I guess that makes you voter number seventy two. I can live with uh, that. Actually, he should be 73. I should be 72. Seniority. True. Well, that, yeah, but you, you chose not to participate, Jonathan. I'm, Conscientious I'm, I'm, I'm putting you at the end. <laughs> um, all right. So what about you? Yeah. You, Mr. Host, you can't skip out on making all right, picks. So, so my picks are the Dodgers in five. And I wanted to ben pick – I, well, I wanted to pick a pitcher – for the Dodgers, because my thinking is that the Rays are not going to score many runs. Um, they have scored, I think it was, what was it, 23 runs in their past eight games, something like that. They, they scored very few runs over the past two weeks. Um, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot easier for them to score against the Dodgers pitching staff. Um, so I wanted to pick a Dodgers pitcher, but... Walker Bueller was the first name that came to mind. He's not going to pitch twice unless it goes seven, and I don't think it's going to go seven. I didn't want to pick Kershaw uh, because of his postseason woes. And then I don't know what the Dodgers are doing in game two yet. So I defaulted to the best player on the field and went with Mookie Betts. I thought you were going to say Joe Kelly. <laughs> I did consider picking the least likely uh, MVP. Who's <laughs> Dara greater all? Ah, Bruce Star has been good. Yeah. So overall, uh, out of the 71 votes, um, seven picked the Dodgers and I'm sorry, 16 picked the Dodgers and seven. Uh, the most popular pick was Dodgers in six. 33 people uh, took that. Eight have the Dodgers in five. 
one person took the Dodgers to sweep. And then on the Rays side of the ledger, six took the Rays to win in seven, six to win in six, and one to win in five. No one thinking the Rays will sweep the Dodgers. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great series. The Rays have played so many close games lately, and I, I feel like they know how to win those games and are, are built to win that type of game, and that's the kind of game that you could see in the World Series. They won their seven games in the ALCS by, uh, well, in all seven games, the run differential uh, was 13 runs. Um, so a, an average of not even two runs per game, um, which is the third time that's ever happened in, in postseason history that a seven-game series has been decided by uh, that few runs. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm greatly looking forward to this World Series. Um, wait, wait, before we were breaking news, we, we heard from Jim Callis from you know, vacation his land. chair on the Lido deck. Um, Dodgers in six, Mookie Betts is the MVP, and that he will pay $25,000 yeah. in a winner-take-all. 25000 25000 There he is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very good drive for Judge Wapner in 15 minutes. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the rookies on the rosters and the roles that they'll play. I, I, I didn't look to see if this is an unusually high number of rookies. I know we saw an unusually high number of rookies. As a matter of fact, we saw more rookies in the postseason this year than ever before by far. Um, last I saw, it was 68, I believe, rookies had played in this postseason, and the previous high was something like 41 or 44, which take it with a grain of salt because of the different format, all the rookies that were up. But still, we, we saw so many rookies in this postseason. And on the World Series rosters, if they shake out like we think they might, uh, we'll see close to a dozen. Uh, the Dodgers with uh, all their pitchers, Gonsolin, Gonzalez, Gratterall, May, and then uh, Edwin Rios on the offensive side. Rays, obviously, starting with Randy Rosarina, the ALCS uh, MVP. And then Curtis, Fairbanks, McClanahan, Sluggers, Thompson, and Sutsugo, a name that uh, we haven't talked too much about. But guys, talk a little bit about how you see the, the rookies uh, factoring into this World Series. I think with the Dodgers, it's pretty straightforward how those rookies are going to factor into the World Series because we've seen how they factor in during the championship series, during the division series. Um, you know, Gonsolin and, and May are guys who could either start or, or pitch in long relief, you know, to uh, very, very uh, good arms w with good stuff who've had success not just during the regular season, but also into the postseason. Um, and then with Gonzalez and Gratterall, it's, um, you know, right-hander Gratterall and left-hander Gonzalez. And they, you know, they were two of the, I believe, toughest relievers to barrel in the National League this year. And, um, you, you know, also guys who could go multiple innings, not not closing types, um, but pitchers who have been very effective today and have, you know, great stuff, cost controlled for years to come. Just really good uh, bullpen pieces for the Dodgers to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. And, you know, and this is such an unusual year and the way teams are using their pitching staffs might be might be different 
anyway, you know, you know, we've seen some playoff games that were kind of done almost by committee. Uh, you know, so the, the flexibility of May and Gonsolin, I think, could come, you know, hugely into, into play. You know, and then on the Rays side, yeah, I know we're going to talk about Randy Rosarina a little bit more um, in the story I wrote, but, you know, it, it's to me, that's like the storyline, you know, uh, for on the Rays side, like, will he keep doing what he's doing? Will the Dodgers figure out a way to to get him out, uh, you know, to to see him if he were to continue? Uh, it's already been what I think is going to be seen as a historic postseason performance by by anyone, let alone a rookie. And so he could sort of cap it off by by continuing what he was doing to help the Rays win, win it all, uh, I think, would be would be an amazing thing. That note from uh, our producer, Danny G., Rosarina hitting 382, 21 for 55, seven home runs, 14 runs, and 14 games this postseason. The rest of the Rays batting just 185, which was a factor for me when I when I made my pick of the Dodgers over the Rays and thinking that the Rays weren't going to score many runs. I mean, I don't think you can expect a Rosarina to continue to perform at the level he has throughout this postseason. And sure, you know, some other hitters may step up in his stead um, or maybe he continues to play out of his mind, but uh, uh, you got to think that he's going to drop off a little bit, but he has had a phenomenal postseason. I'm actually uh, curious to see where he ends up in Jim Callis's ranking of the top rookie postseason performances of all time. I know that Jim uh, weighted heavily uh, the world series title and, and uh, I think the top 10 players in that ranking all one World Series rings, and we're a big part of that. So uh, I would imagine that if the Rays win, and a Rosarina doesn't completely uh, drop off, that he would he would crack uh, the top ten, if not even the top five, uh, in terms of all time rookie postseason appearances, rookie postseason performances. It's got to, right? I mean, like I, I don't, I understand waiting it towards World Series performance. Um, you know, especially if you're going throughout history when you. Know, all those years where that's all there was, you know, but uh, like, unless he falls flat on his face, I have to think that he's going to figure highly on that list. What he's done has been absolutely insane. Every time I think like, all right, they kind of figured him out and they made adjustments. There's another extra base hit. So I, I like, I, I, you know, I would yeah, be for, surprised if he's not high on that list. I think for a while we were, we were chatting about how, you know, we would not, throw this guy a fastball until he proves he can hit a breaking ball. And then it, it seemed like that was kind of the tack that the, uh, that the Astros took. And then he started hitting breaking balls out too. Yep. So I think it's funny, our, our Slack conversations during these games, whenever, whenever Randy does something, you know, one of us will chime in and be like, Randy. And it's like, no, did he, did, and for everyone who's not watching, it's like, did he really just hit another Homer? And like the, the answer's been usually been yes. Yeah, I think, uh, what he's second all time in, in postseason home home runs now in a single season. Danny G is on. He keeps getting us uh, giving us numbers. Forty seven total bases are tied for the second most by any player in a single postseason, and then only Barry Bonds and Carlo, Carlos Beltran and Nelson Cruz have hit more homers in a single postseason. There we go. Pretty, pretty good company. All right, something we do uh, every year. 
uh, when it comes to postseason time is we like to take a look at how the postseason teams constructed their rosters, um, how they use the draft, the international free agents, free agent market, uh, trades, waiver moves, rule five draft and free agency to construct their teams. And uh, it's been, uh, you know, we've, we've done this for several years and it's always informative. We look at both how the rosters are broken up in terms of the sheer number of players that come from each of those categories. And then we also take a, a further look at how much value the teams have gotten from those different means of acquiring players by looking at uh, the players' uh, B-war uh, over the course of that season. The Rays and Dodgers are obviously two very different teams in terms of uh, the resources they have to build their teams. I believe the Dodgers were second overall in payroll entering the season at $105 million some odd dollars uh, behind only the Yankees while the Rays were in the bottom, what, four or five at 28 million. So about a quarter of what the Dodgers payroll was. Um, but there's, uh, you know, there are some similarities in how the rosters are actually built. And um, Mike, I know you wrote this story this year uh, comparing just the, the Rays and Dodgers. We also did a story where we looked at all eight teams in the uh, division series, but uh Give us a little rundown on how the Rays and Dodgers built their teams. Yeah, so beginning with the Rays, um, of the 28 spots on their projected World Series roster, 16 belong to players who they acquired um, you know, in previous years. Um, and that was the highest total of any of the four teams to advance to the championship series. And you know, Jason, as you were just saying, with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, the Rays always have to be creative in how they um, construct their roster and, and the players they target in trades. So you look at, uh, you know, a lot of this year's Rays roster and you got guys like Willie Adamas who came over in the David Price trade from the Tigers, Tyler Glass now in Austin Meadows um, in that in that lopsided Chris Archer deal. Um, and then and then even just looking at their entire outfield right now, or at least a, um, a, a large portion of their outfield, you got Hunter Renfro, uh, Manny Margot, uh, Randy Rosarena all guys who they acquired prior to the season. And, you know, that that's what the Rays have to do um, is find those cost-controlled, impactful players who could uh, be there for, for several years, who could establish more value to be traded again. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of the homegrown players with the Rays, there aren't that many. The biggest uh, name that comes to mind is Blake Snell. You've got Brandon Lau, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. So just not not a huge amount of homegrown talent there. Whereas you look at the Dodgers, and that's kind of kind of their thing. You know, they have 14 uh, spots of their 28 or half um, who are projected to make their postseason roster who who came from uh, uh, homegrown, and by that we mean either the draft or international signing. And just, I mean, I'll just I'll just list a couple of these names here: Clayton Kershaw, Corey Seager, Walker Bueller, Will Smith. Those were all first round picks. And, you know, some later round selections include Cody Bellinger, Dustin May, Edwin Rios, um, Tony Gonsolin, Jock Peterson. Just a really, uh, you know, strong drafting effort has helped make this Dodger club what it is. But the Dodgers buy all their players. But the Dodgers, the Dodgers buy all their players. This is, um, uh, yes. Yeah, we, we every year we, uh, we put out uh, an infographic that shows um, how the teams acquired their players. And it's very easy to compare. Uh, all the teams in the postseason, and inevitably, the Dodgers 
you know, year after year, they've been in the postseason. And year after year, they are uh, one of the most homegrown rosters of any of the postseason teams. And the the single most common reply when we uh, or, or quote tweet or retweet when we put out um, this infographic is with the alternating lower and uppercase letters. But the Dodgers buy all their players. I was say it looks like some you know sending a ransom note with you know, cut out newspaper letters. <laughs> I um yeah, listen. I, I think. The only point that people love to make that is valid at all is that they that the Dodgers have the financial wherewithal to keep their homegrown players more so than some other teams. It's the same thing you know, when you know with the, the the Yankees juggernaut teams where they have you near know, the core of homegrown players and they could extend them and sign them to long term contracts and, and things of, of that nature. And yes, then they can go out and trade for Mookie Betts and sign him to a long extension. Uh, you know, I think someone was weighing in that, like, if Clayton Kershaw had been drafted by the Pirates, he wouldn't still be on the Pirates. Oh, it fine. That's <laughs> true. It's not really the point of these stories that we're doing. The fact of the matter is, is that their team is largely homegrown built. And, you know, they have done, and um, we've talked about this several times on this podcast as good a job, if not better, of cons- than any other team in baseball in terms of somehow being able to consistently have a strong farm system and have a winning team at the major league level. Because even the teams that have, you know, deep pockets, it can go in, in, in cycles. Just ask the Boston Red Sox. You know, so it's, it's not an easy thing to continue to do what they have been able to do. And by constantly pointing out the fact that they can afford to extend their players is missing the point that their scouting staff, both on the amateur side and on the international side, both in terms of nailing first round picks and finding talent later on, has done an extraordinary job of finding players. Their player development uh, staff has done a terrific job of developing those players so they're ready to contribute to a winning team at the big league level every single year. Right. I mean, you, you, you have to have those players before you extend them. Right. right. And outside of exactly. Kershaw and Betts, you know, a lot of the guys we just mentioned, the Buellers, the Seegers, Will Smith, uh, Bellingers, these are all pre-arb or, or arbitration eligible guys too. You know, they're not um, players who were, were signed or, or the Dodgers are throwing a ton of money at right now. So let's look at the uh, let's look at the Rays on the other side of the coin here. Um, they have done an outstanding job and have for years of acquiring players. And um, Jonathan, I want you to to talk a little bit about their pro scouting department. Um, if you look at their postseason roster and the number of players that they acquired via trade and uh, the impact that those players have had this year, uh, Willie Adames. Um, an interesting one in that he was acquired uh, in a huge trade in the David Price trade years ago. And this was before or right around the time that he was just kind of establishing himself as an elite prospect. Um, I think he was an A-ball at the time. Yep. Yeah. He was in the Midwest League. Yep. There you go. Yeah. And, and just kind of a, you know, I think kind of a wild card in that trade. He wasn't the, I mean, Maybe he was viewed long term as as being the the centerpiece, but uh, you know, Smiley also in that deal. But I, you know, 
Um, that that's an interesting one. Nick Anderson acquired via trade. Uh, Randy Rosarina, obviously, and we're going to talk about that one in depth. G-Man Choi, uh, Yandy Diaz, Pete Fairbanks, Austin Meadows, and Tyler Glasnow in a big one. Um, Manny Margot, World Series MVP Mike Zanino, <laughs> <laughs> soon to be World Series MVP Mike Zanino. I was just uh, going alphabetically. Sorry, were you going alphabetically? <laughs> Hunter Renfro. Uh, Aaron Sleggers, Joey Wendell, Ryan Yarbrough, all these guys acquired by trade. Uh, so Jonathan, I know you've been talking to several people in the uh, Rays front office and have some interesting insight into uh, just how they've been able to make these things happen. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just sort of, you know, institutional philosophy. I spent uh, a lot of time talking to Kevin Iback, who is their professional scouting director. and. Um, you know, as we all like to say, you know, guys who've been scouting a long time are great storytellers, but we really dug into you know, the process that they have and it's kind of, they've, you know, realized that that's what they, you know, what they need to do. And by and large, they've traded big league players away often at the right time to bring in not just high level prospects, but often high level prospects who are just about ready to contribute at the big league level. And that's why they've been able to largely, uh, you know, with a small hiccup, but over the last several years, by and large, had a winning, a winning team, not always a playoff team. Uh, you know, when you're in the division with the Yankees and Red Sox, that can be challenging, but they've always had a winning team. And there's just a, a culture there where the pro scouting department understands the importance of what they do you know that that not only if they evaluate a player and say like i like this guy it's not just that they'll be that their reports or their opinions will be heard but they'll be acted on and they rely on them to make decisions uh and and that's happened time and time and time again and sometimes it's been these smaller deals for for you know contributors you know like Choi or or uh, you know, even like Zanino. And then sometimes it's the big trade, like trading Chris Archer to the Pirates and, you know, and getting Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows, you know, not to mention Shane Boz, who's you know still a couple of years away. But, you know, so it, across the board, they have done a very good job of, uh, of finding players that way. And, and they, they've done it in a, in a number of ways. You know, so, sometimes it's just, uh, a matter of communicating across their departments. So there may be a guy that the amateur scouting department really liked, but they, for whatever reason, they couldn't draft. So then the pro scouting department keeps tabs on those guys. And, and sometimes they're eventually brought into the fold. Same with their international scouts. Uh, and their pro scouting department does a really good job uh, of scouting players at, at lower levels, Gulf Coast League, spring training, extended, you know, things like that. So they can start identifying players. You know, one of the my biggest takeaways from my conversation with Kevin Iback was that you know often when you see a team trade for a player, or at least when the Rays trade for a player, it's not a sudden. Oh, this guy gets brought up. Let's scramble to find out. It's because they had an interest for a long period of time, have been tracking that player, have track record, so that when a name is brought up or they go into a trade negotiation, they have an idea of who they want to target. So Jonathan, dig in a little bit to the specifics of how the Rays 
acquired Randy Rosarina. Obviously, he has been uh, a big part of this postseason. Uh, I don't think anyone <laughs> expected this out of him, certainly. Uh, but he has been fantastic for the Rays down the stretch and then into the postseason. Um, and a, an interesting, pretty interesting story as to how this whole thing came about. Yeah, it, it's it's a real interesting story. And no, they, they, they did not expect that. I think they thought that he might contribute this year. And obviously, when they acquired him in January, they you know they were planning for a full season, you know, and they thought, well, maybe he probably contribute to the big league roster at some point during the 2020 season. Maybe you know establish himself more in 2021. They saw him as a guy who could really be an an impact bat. And as I said, you know, this wasn't something that just came up now when they were talking to the to the to the Cardinals and it was an unusual trade for the Rays because they traded away Matthew Libertor who's one of the the best left-handed pitching prospects in the game and that's not something that they normally do uh, but you know they had to sort of look at what they needed now uh, and saw in Libertor a guy who likely going to be very very good but is is further away and their need for uh for right Hand for right-handed hitters, uh, especially in the outfield. They had Avisal Garcia on last year's playoff team, and they weren't able to resign him. Uh, so th- that was a need, and they went out and, and addressed that need. Uh, and but the the interest in in Rosarina started in 2017 uh, it, during the during the winter meetings when they were talking to the Cardinals about uh, evidently a much larger multiplayer trade. And a Rosarina would have been a smaller piece in the in the trade instead of the kind of the main piece. He had just touched double A for the first time that season. He was playing in the Mexican Winter League and playing very well. And uh, they they had interest in him then, and it didn't work out. But because they had done all this work and 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 frankly had kind of targeted him as a guy of interest for for a while, having seen him in you know like I said in the lower levels of the minors in spring training. Uh, you know, when they started trying to look at teams where they could find right-handed hitting outfielders, they came back to the Cardinals, who happened to have a glut of of outfield uh, depth. You know, they had good outfield depth, so they could part with the Rosarina, and that, you know that's sort of how it how it came to be. And uh, you know, the rest has been, you know, tip your cap to what the player has been able to to do given the opportunity. Uh, you know, they they didn't expect him to do this and no one would have expected a player to do what he's done so far but they did see him as a potential impact bat and that's why they were, were able to find it okay to part with their their first round pick and, and from just you know the you know, year and a half prior in, in Matthew Libertor. All right so we're talking here about how the Rays have done such a good job of acquiring players via trade and um, in looking at, we want to move on and look at ranking the World Series players as prospects. So Jim Callis has done a story, it's up on the site now, uh, in which he ranks the 19 players between the two teams that were at one time uh, on either our MLB.com top 50 or top 100 prospects list. Um, and this kind of ties in because a lot of the players we noticed that a lot of the players for the Rays are uh, more along the lines of guys that they did acquire um, 
either when they were prospects or kind of at the point where they had maybe lost some of that prospect status, some of that prospect hype and kind of post-hype prospects. Uh, whereas the Dodgers, on the other hand, uh, are really the more prospecty of the two teams and have a bunch of players that they uh, drafted or signed internationally. They have, I believe, six of the top seven players on the list. Mike, break this down for us. Sure. So let's uh, let's start with the Rays here. And, and you mentioned that many of the guys um, on their World Series roster are kind of those post-hype prospect types. Um, so digging into that, I, I mean, just look at the return that they got in the uh, Chris Archer trade, Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows. Uh, Glasnow had always had ridiculous stuff, posted great numbers in the minors. Um, but, you know, he got to the big leagues and it didn't really click for him. And, you know, he eventually was moved to the bullpen before being packaged uh, to Tampa Bay and kind of the same deal with Meadows. You know, he'd reached the big leagues, hadn't really broken through yet. Um, but sure enough, you know, the year after the Rays uh, acquire these guys in their first full season, Glass uh, um, now puts everything together, together. Uh, Meadows goes off and, and, you know, how many bombs did he hit last year? Anyway, doesn't doesn't matter. The, the, yeah, a bunch. Exactly. See, and that was a guy, you know, Meadows was a guy who, as a prospect in early his big, big league career, people are always wondering, you know, is he going to hit for a lot of power? The hit tool has always been there, but like, is the power going to come? And then the Rays, seeing a, an undervalued player who who can really make an impact, acquire him and, and um, you know, he, he goes off in his first full season. Uh, Glass now, the same way, you know, the stuff is incredible. And if you look at some of the other players, on the roster, Mike uh, Zunino, former um, top draft pick of the Mariners in 2012. Um, uh, Manny Margot, former top 100 prospect, traded twice. Um, Hunter Renfro, uh, he, you know, he, he's uh, less of an example, just more so that he faced a, a crowded situation um, in, in the Padres outfield. But but just going through these names, you see tons of players who were undervalued with their previous organization, who came with a lot of hype, um, you know, a lot of promise at one point in their career. And, and I think it just, you know, going back to our, our podcast long conversation now about the Rays' ability to identify and, and acquire um, the long-term talent, I think that this list and, and the players on the uh, Rays' World Series roster really speak to that. By the way, uh, a bunch of home runs for Austin Meadows last year was, to be slightly more specific, 33. Yeah, that's, that's a ton of, of, of home runs for a guy who, before that year, I don't want to be dropping numbers that I uh, I don't have, but it was nothing close to that. Right, hit uh, six in 2018 in, in 59 games. Yep. Right. And Even in the minors, the power wasn't there as, you know, as much. It was always hit over power, and then the power showed up, which is why he was an all-star. Yep. So the ranking of the uh, World Series players by prospect status. So the way Jim did this was to rank those 19 players in order of their prospect status at the time that they first reached the big league. So some of these guys may have been at one point ranked uh, more highly or lowly than, uh, than they appear on this list. But this is based on where they stood at the time. Um, and the number one player on the list is Corey Seager. Number two is Clayton Kershaw. Number three, Julio Urias. Number four, Cody Bellinger. Number five, Tyler Glasnow, the uh, first Ray Rays player on the list. Number six, Mookie Betts. Number seven, Walker Bueller. And number eight, Blake Snell. And I believe all eight of those players were at one time 
uh, a top 10 overall prospect in baseball. So um, this is a, a quite a prospecty World Series, although as Jim pointed out in his story, the number of overall top 100 prospects uh, on the two teams' rosters is down a bit from the past two years. Last year, there were 24 players between the Astros and Nationals, and in the previous year with the, uh, let's see, oh, did he have this for, yeah, in 2018, Dodgers and Red Sox were 22 out of the 50, and we're also talking about uh, expanded rosters here. So the overall number down a bit, but certainly a lot of guys who were elite prospects when they made it to the big leagues. And just to back up to uh, the Dodgers for a second here, looking at uh, Seager, Kershaw, uh, Arias, and, and Bellinger, numbers one through four on the list, all of those guys reached the major leagues when they were 20 or 21. You know, those are, uh, it, it kind of just reflects the strength of, of the Dodgers draft and, and also that they hit on, you know, their top picks quite often. All right, you are listening to the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Mike Rosenbaum and Jonathan Mayo. And when we return... Uh, Jonathan is going to talk to Marlins rookie Jazz Chisholm. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Two and a base hit. The first for Jazz Chisholm. And Jazz Chisholm puts a charge into this one. Right center. Goodbye. Home run. First of his career. Almost got one his last time. Hits it a little bit further this time. Congratulations, Jazz. What a fantastic swing from the young lefty. Sweet swing. And now Jazz with a shot out to right center field. Hicks turns around and play it off the wall. That'll score two easily. Jazz Chisholm in the second with a stand-up double. Hand or forearm area with a comebacker. This one hit hard. Oh, Jazz makes an unbelievable play at short. What a play by Jazz Chisholm. This is a fly ball out to right center field. Hicks turns around. Goodbye. That's a home run for Jazz Chisholm. His best day continues. Happy to welcome in, I guess he's a, f- a friend of the podcast. I think you've been on with us before. Jazz Chisholm of the Miami Marlins. I feel like I've talked to you so much that you might as well be an honorary uh, you know, 
co-host of, of the Pipeline Podcast always, but Jazz, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you too, Jonathan. How have you been? Been doing, been doing all right, I guess. It's so, it's kind of weird to answer that question uh, these days uh, with with everything that's going on. But let, let's sort of start with that because I think I saw you in spring training uh, when mm-hmm. life was sort of normal, and you know you had this goal. I knew that you, you wanted to make a good impression with your new organization and hopefully make it up to the big leagues at some point in 2020. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I, I want to start with just like, how did what happened with the shutdown really affect your mindset in terms of, okay, well, I don't know when we're going to play again. How much, you know, how much did that alter your level of expectations for what might happen for you this year? I mean, my expectations never went down, you know, uh, when the shutdown happened, I was just thinking like, when we get back, I just got to be ready to, to play in the big leagues. Cause I know we don't have, a, they already said that we weren't having a minor league season. So I was like, well, I got to get ready to play in the big leagues. I got to make sure I'm ready to play in the big leagues. So like every day I was going out there, even when we had a little lockdown, I was running around the neighborhoods and running my miles and stuff to be ready just to go back to the field and make sure I'm not winded by the time we get back out there and have a short spring training and doing all these stuff. So I was really into, into just being ready for the big leagues. It wasn't, Hey, I got to be ready for 162 games. No, I got to just be ready to go out there and play in the big leagues and give my all every day. And that's what I did. How, how did you maintain that? And we've talked to a few guys about the whole alternate site camp and, you know, teams did their best to have, you know, a level of competition, but obviously it's not the same thing as if you had been out there playing every day, presumably in triple a, you know, uh, pitching you was, fa- you, you got to face obviously pretty good, but mm-hmm. you know, no fans. Uh, I don't know what it was like in, in Marlins camp, but, lot of other camps like they didn't have a left fielder or they used the pitching machine at the end and things like that how did you especially because I know how much you love to compete kind of challenge yourself to pretend that you were playing really competitive baseball every inning yeah I mean I had to be at the start of camp um when the season started when they sent us to the alternate site we didn't have that a lot of guys to play the field so some days it would just be you and the pitcher and you hit the ball and you're running the first base or if you hit it in the gap you you might go three and just keep going and it was just but it was like a way that you would go out there and have fun with it you know like I was I was out there if I hit a ball in the gap and nobody's on the field I'm I'm sliding into third base I'm not even I'm just gonna have fun I'm gonna try to keep it upbeat for everybody else you know like that's how we were having it like and and the guys were doing it out there we were having fun and that's what I think kept us going and we were just riding the wave the whole year with it, you know? Are, are there things that you felt that you were able to like take away from, from, you know, being with the one advantage is being with, you know, older guys, guys who had been in the big leagues already. So even if you weren't getting 500 at bats in AAA or, or, or whatever it would be, what are some of the things even from a mental or preparing kind of standpoint that you were able to, to, to take away from, from that time at, at the alternate site? Um, just like I said, there weren't many guys there, but the guy you were getting, I was getting lessons from guys who were had 10 to 15 years in the big leagues who were in minor league camp or 
I was just talking to everybody that I can learn something from it every day with someone new that I could have a one-on-one with and just learn the game and learn how to play this game and learn how to love this game and be obsessed with this game and be better at this game every day. So it was just so, so, so amazing to be out there and do that, you know? No, absolutely. And I would imagine one of the things that kind of fueled your fire is you, you look at the big league team. There's a lot of young guys. There are a lot of young guys getting called up, giving a chance, you know, how much were you chomping at the bit and trying, did you have to tell yourself to slow down? Like, all right, I got it. I got to be a little more patient. If I keep doing my thing, clearly they, they value bringing the young guys up and giving them a chance and, I, and, and the phone's going to ring for me. Um, it, I think it was the day that the 17 guys went, went down and I was like, Oh my goodness. What's going to happen right now? Am I ready to go, go to the big leagues? And I had to check myself, you know, I had to make sure like, all right, every day I got to be ready to go to the big leagues. And like, it's just, it, it can be any day now. Like, yeah, you, I was thinking I was ready until like that happened and it gave me the instant shock of, okay, I could be in the big leagues tomorrow, like any day now. So like every day it was just like, I could get the call any day. So I just went out there every day and kept doing what I what I needed to do to get to the big leagues. All right. So now you got to tell, you know, everyone the story of the day that call actually kind of, okay. Everyone, everyone has that story. This year has been so bizarre, but it's still a getting called up to the big leagues for the first time story. So let us have it. Let us hear it. Um, so I get, I get a call. Like I'm going to the, we are about to go to this alternate side game. And I get a call, like, I'm, I'm the last one out of the locker room. Like, I'm just, I'm turning off all the music and all that stuff, you know, getting us hyped for the alternate side game, you know. Like, it's a regular season game. I'm about to walk out. And he was like, oh, I was looking for you. And I was like, yeah, I got to get to the game. Um, I'm the last one out. And he was like, nah, come here. I got to talk to you right quick. Come to the office. I get in the office. Uh, the AAA manager is in the office. So he was like, man, I can't like, so I was just like thinking like when he says, man, his name is Jeff. He's Jeff came and called me. He was like, man. And every time he says, man, I'm just like, I'm in trouble again. That's what I first thought. Like, oh, I'm in trouble. He's like, man, the things you've been doing for the last week, got you called up to the big leagues, man. And I was like, oh my goodness. You can't do that to me, man. You know, you know, every time you say, man, I get in trouble. So like, you can't just hit me with that first and all that stuff. So we, we talked about it and he was like, yeah, you got to get down there in an, like an hour. You got an hour or two to get to Marlins Park, which is an hour drive, not too bad. So I was like, all right, I got to go pack my stuff. And then I got, to see a lot of the guys come back in and give me hugs and congratulating me. And then I got on the phone uh, on my iPad and my phone, my laptop, I got everything. And I was just making group calls. Like before I told everybody, everybody's like, what's going on? What's going on? I was like, hold on. I'm waiting on these people to answer. Hold on. I'm waiting on these people to answer. And I was just like on three devices. And I was just like, and I told everybody at the same time, it was just like, amazing to see everybody's reaction and everything and like I was on the phone with Lucius until I got to the stadium in in Miami like my little brother Lucius everybody just like 
I was on the phone with like three of them at the same time. Like even on my way down to my Marlins Park, it was just like we were talking and it was just like, bro, I can't believe this. And like me and him are talking and he's like, I was like, bro, I can't wait till you get yours right now. I, I feel like I'm excited, but I can't wait for yours too. And like, it was just, it was just a cool experience for me. That's awesome. And I know you and Lucius, you know, try to, to, and we're talking about Lucius Fox for, 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 for people mm-hmm. who aren't connecting those dots, you know, it was a friendly competition. You guys push each other all the time. You have some bragging rights now. You were the first guy to get up. So is it, you're going to hold that over him for a while? Uh, yeah, he knows it. <laughs> we all know it. Uh, I, I had to get a, something to remind him about it, you know, I don't know what it is going to be yet, but it might be like a branded on a bag, like number seven. Yeah. I'll put like number eight on his. Right. <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, that's excellent. Uh, and I know you're rooting for him to get up there too. So tell, tell me yeah. about the time that you had, because, you know, I think a lot of people thought, yes, the Marlins are improving. Uh, their farm system is now really deep and rich because of the trades and the drafts and, and the signings and things like that. But I don't, I don't think there were too many people who thought that the Marlins were going to be playoff contenders this quickly. You know, so the idea of you getting called up, sure, that makes sense. But as part of this rebuilding effort that you go up and you're part of a, a, a playoff race. So you're going from like zero to 60, like the alternate site where you're trying to simulate competition to the ultimate competition was that was that hard to switch gears like that at all, or were you like, yeah, let's go? I, I was more like of a, yeah, let's go. I'm ready to help the team win any way possible. Just put you put me out there. I'm willing to help. Like I'm I'm gonna go 100% every day to help us win every day. You want to put me out there? You trust me to be out there? I'm gonna do it for you, so you can keep trusting me to be out there. So like that's how I felt coming into the playoff race and learning the game at the same time. Like I knew it was a lot, but like, I was just like, I'm gonna take everything and go with it and just run. Like, like we were saying all year, riding the wave, like everything was riding the wave this year. Yeah. What, what were the biggest things that you learned? You weren't, I mean, you weren't up really for, for, for that long, but just in the time that you were up, what are the things you said? All right, now I really understand, like, these are the things I need to do so that opening day, 2021, I'm ready to, to go every day and, you know, and uh, like, I'm going to work on this, these parts of my game the most, like I know what I need to do to, to really be ready for 162 next year. Your routine, 100% your routine. Everything has to do with what you do every day because then your body reacts to what you do every day, you know? So I learned that really well. Like as soon as I got up, the first thing everybody told me is, Hey, stick to your routine, which you were doing in the alternate site do it up there and I was doing it every day like I was getting out there early doing all my stuff early getting back inside doing my stuff inside early and then I'll be ready for the game probably an hour before the game so like you know like it's just the routine that you have every day from you wake up to when you close your eyes it's just amazing what that can take you through every day you know like in the minor leagues you work you're working on more things in the big leagues it's time to go and win you know like your development is in the minor leagues and the big leagues is time to win. So you need to keep the routine to keep going, you know? No, that makes sense. And, you know, you, you did have the, uh, you know, the ability to contribute and help, you know, the, the, the team, as you said, in any way you could to make the playoffs 
you know, probably to me, one of the biggest surprises of the season, as I said, what was the, the postseason experience like? Now, you didn't get to experience 50,000 people going nuts. You know, that was kind of off the table because of the pandemic. But just the, the, the electricity within the clubhouse and the dugout playing, you know, for a kind of winner takes all, you know, series like that. What was that experience like for you? And when you got to, you know, you got to start at second base to, to draw a start that they, as you put it, they trusted you to be in a starting lineup in a playoff game. I mean, honestly, when I got out there, I was still looking around like there was 50,000 people out there. I mean, I didn't have to see 50,000 people out there, but I could feel 50,000 people out there. You know what I mean? Like, I could, it's the intensity of the guys, the intensity of the other team, the intensity of the managers, like everything was just like, so like, you could feel, feel it throughout the whole ballpark. Like it's, it's go time. Like, let's go take it now. And it was both sides. Like it was, it wasn't just one guy out there saying that it was like every, everybody out there was just like, it's go time. So it was just like, it was super crazy. Like I, like I told you, like, I felt like it was out there, like op- my first opening day start. If I get, if I ever get one. Yeah. Like when my first opening day started, like, I feel like with fans in the stands, like that's how it would feel. Like everybody's like, all right, opening day, let's go get it. Let's go, let's go win this year. Like that's how it felt in the playoffs for that, my first start. And we just watched the, the Braves lose game seven to, to the Dodgers. You, you guys faced the Braves uh, you know, uh, how good of a team was that, that, that you faced, you know, I'm wondering how much the fact that they, even though they, they have some younger players too, they've had more playoff experience than you guys have had. I wonder how much that played into it. And then just a little bit, if you watch any of the, the Braves Dodgers series, you know, what, what you saw in that series in terms of what the Dodgers are, are bringing to, to the Rays, uh, in the world series. Uh, the Braves are a great team. I mean, cannot deny that they made it all the way out there they played their hearts out I mean one of the best hitting teams of offensive teams I've ever played against probably the best I've ever played against in my career so far but I mean they they put it all out on the line the Dodgers got the got the better end of the stick you know like they played their hearts out too but I mean the Dodgers have two MVPs on the team they they got rookie of the years on the team. I mean, their team is stacked, man. I mean, it's hard to outplay the guys who's been the guys who've been proving it for the past couple of years, you know. So I mean, hats off to the Dodgers. Hats off to the Braves as well. They played their butts off, so I congratulate both of them. And good luck to the Tampa Bay Rays as well. You know, played against them too. So I mean, they did it. They've been doing it all year. Kind of expected them to be there, so not really surprised. All right, Jazz, before I let you go, um, I wanted to ask you one thing, because uh, I remember there was an image. Uh, I think you you put something out um, in support of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, and it was a great picture of you putting your hand on the shoulder of somebody or someone putting their hand on your shoulder. I, I don't remember what it is, but, uh, you know, it's – it's great to be able to talk about baseball uh, and, and things like that, but you've always had an understanding, I think, of the, the, the larger context of things, you know, even if it's helping 
folks back uh, in your home, the Bahamas, you know, after uh, after the destruction from the storm, or in this moment of, of social justice, you know, it's a lot for a young player to have to deal with. You were trying to get up to the big leagues and all those things, but can you say or talk a little bit about the importance of using your platform to to bring up these you know these important matters of of people's safety and of social justice? Um. Yeah, I mean, me as a young guy that has a platform that I could reach out to many people in this world, like not just only in this country, but in the Bahamas, anywhere else that, you know, people from all worldwide follow, follow people on social media. So it's just that I could reach out and talk to the communities about how much not only black lives, but all lives do matter. So, but it's just that this time what's happening with the black lives in our community is just like, it's hurt for the out and just see another video every day. It's sickening to watch that every day. Every time I wake up, I see someone getting shot by a officer or getting degraced by a community member just because they're different skin tone, you know? So, I mean, it's just, it was just hurtful to watch. So I would just do whatever I can do, especially with the platform that I have. I just do it. I'll, I'll keep doing it and don't have any remorse if someone hates me for it, you know, because I, that's what I believe in. So yeah, it, it was just hurtful to see every day, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Well, Jazz, uh, as always, appreciate the, the time talking with you. Um, I appreciate your, your honesty and forthrightness on, on that particular answer and uh, looking forward to many more conversations with you about, about baseball and, and life away from baseball uh, as you go down this path. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, our thanks to Jazz Chisholm for joining us on this podcast. Uh, Jazz, one of the really terrific personalities in the game. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, so, guys, you know, kind of unusual circumstances for him this year, as he talked about uh, having to be ready to go at all times and then getting the call up in the postseason. So th- there are a lot of situations like this where guys are getting that that jump up, and, and there have been certainly more extreme scenarios where guys who, uh, you know, haven't played above a ball making it to the big leagues. Some of them, uh, some players making their post, their major league debuts in the postseason. Um, so with Jazz, what, what can we expect next year? Do you expect him to start the season in the big leagues? Does he need a little more seasoning? What, what do you think? Uh, you know, I think, I think it's both. Like, I think he probably needs a little more seasoning, but I also think he's got a very, you know, he'll be given every opportunity to start the year in the big leagues. You know, this is working under the assumption that 2021 is going to be a normal full season with the spring training and things like that. I, I, I think he learned a lot. Uh, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me was him talking about the uh, learning routine. And I think because he just loves to like play. It's not that he wasn't working, but I think he just liked to show up and and play and he didn't have the same set routine. And that's something that he learned this year. And I think that's going to help him reach a different level of consistency, which has eluded him at, at times there's, there's always going to be swing and miss, you know, he's extremely aggressive at the plate, even in his time up this year, which was limited. I think he struck out in like 30% of his at bats. So I, uh, or plate appearances. So, and, you know, he's going to have to keep refining his approach, but I think that's something that he's going to get the opportunity to do in, in Miami next year. 
All right, and that leads us perfectly into our final segment of the day where we answer a question from you, the listener. Um, we had Kyle Kyle, uh, SD fan Kyle, asks, what is the most likely scenario next year for players that skipped multiple levels of the minors but made MLB, MLB debuts this year? For example, Padres Weathers last at A and Patino at A. Standard bump to next level, everyone to triple A. Guys, what do you think? Um, so, so using those examples with the Padres and Weathers and Patino, I think those are interesting examples um, because they're both incredibly young guys who were being developed as starting pitchers before uh, being pushed up to the major leagues this year in a relief role. So looking at that, um, you know, there's obviously some uh, inclination for the team maybe based upon if, if a pitcher does well with that jump to just continue to use them in the bullpen. Um, but with players like that, uh, highly touted prospects who have a lot of upside as starters, I think the organization will probably still want to see next year what what these guys can do in a starting role, um, You know, assuming that there's a normal 2021 season. I think it's different for hitters that some of the hitters we see in the big leagues this year are, are more likely to stick around and, and um, you know, be given another chance in, in that same role that they got a taste of this year. But with pitchers, I could see a return to the minor leagues, more development and, and kind of figuring out what that long-term role is, um, you know, in the context of a regular season. Yeah, and Patino at least touched double A. Like, and he's super young. That one seemed less of a, of a leap to me than Weathers for some reason, just because maybe because we saw Patino on, on a larger level. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think, for the most part, there's almost going to be a, a little bit of a reset button where those all those players who jump from a ball to the to the big leagues. And obviously, we didn't see the progression they made in the alternate site and things like that. Uh, those guys are going to have to go back. I do think that that experience of uh, making it to the big leagues or even being around older players with tons of major league experience who are at the alternate site is going to speed up the progress for a subset of these younger players, whether they made it to the big leagues or not, or whether they were like the super young guys at alternate sites. I think finding about, you know, like, like even like jazz Chisholm was saying about routine, about preparing, about how they go about their business is going to help some of these super young players uh, maybe speed up and get back to the big leagues faster than they would have if they had just played a, a normal year in, in a ball or rookie ball this year. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the pipeline podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Make sure to look for the MLB pipeline podcast every week on MLB.com iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.